The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Deconstructing PSYOPs, propaganda, and mainstream media garbage. Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Hi there. Today I'm going to talk about uh, immigration and uh, coming from the left. Maybe a lot of the viewers who watch uh, this program um, will have uh, be familiar with the term far right as applying to everyone who's a member of the unwashed majority who uh, doesn't fit in with the uh, ideological goals of uh, our elites and our mainstream media. Um, I used to uh, write for The Guardian, so I know all about uh, the arrogance there. And um, there's a lot of... Um, uh, we we need to lot, do a lot of recon, deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means. Because what does far right mean? I I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like, and um, it's just a label, a bit like the the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response, and it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that. This is what you should think without actually having to think. It's 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 a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys, and uh, a moderate in in, in our l- lingo. I mean, let's say it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah 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 party in the third world, meaning well, they're guys we approve of, and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of, and then far right is used internally in in our domestic politics to describe uh, people who who the state media and the mainstream media don't approve of. But actually, I mean, if you consider the far right, a lot of the people who voted for the far right are actually people who came from the old white collar working class who voted for the left uh, historically in the great period of the golden era as it's, uh, of the West between 1945 and the 1980s. Um, they were white collar workers and they were socially conservative. And I would say, let's say as recently as the 1970s, they were almost like the sacred objects of our media discourses in our largely social democratic countries. Um, that, that is to say, they were the, the central figure, the working class male with his with his real job, you know, and his checked shirt and his habits, um, down to earth habits. He was the, the person you couldn't really criticize and against whom you all had to measure yourself. And I think that it coincided at the same time a very strong union power. And of course it went too far. You had Jack Jones, Tombstone Jones, turning up at Downing Street and dictating uh, salaries for, which uh, basically bankrupted the Britain of the 1970s because they couldn't afford to pay them and the companies went down. So it was almost like a suicide operation, uh, but they were, the unions were banking on the companies caring more about surviving than in, in bankrupting themselves. It was a very bad, very bad game. And of course, Margaret Thatcher crushed the unions and then we had the victory in the Cold War which removed the sort of Soviet Union as an ideological pole against which one always had to relate, for better or for worse. And then in the 1990s, we saw globalization. We saw this super rich mega donor class who, who were international. And then you saw a more mobile upper middle class in law and, and banking and journalism, if you like. You, you could say cynically service the oligarch class. And what I'm saying are actually arguments that Trump would make and and 
all the anti-globalist movement, the, the the Joneses of the Alex Joneses of this world. But actually, it's an argument that you could say is equally well as a, is a left-wing argument, you know. And what's happened is that um, the uh, left-wing argument, the le the old left, has been retargeted as the the new right. And what's happened was that the economic war between labor and capital has turned into a sort of cultural war between uh, the virtuous upper middle class, the transnationalist middle class, and the the somewhere people, the people rooted in a location, and for our, us Europeans and, and Westerners in our own national complexes. And this what this has created is, it's turned the tables on, on the sort of un, unvirtuous upper middle class against, so the white blue collar middle working class is no longer a guy who who is, uh, salt of the earth but he's a far-right guy with suspiciously nazi views and he has to be reformed you know and you have to have open borders to rub their noses in in cosmopolitanism but of course there's a there's a major economic motive in open borders because you're lowering prices you're weakening the unions i mean i think in sweden that was an explicit reason why the the right-wing governments in the 2000s wanted immigration and on a cultural level you could say that the the, the, the impoverished or the relatively the, the working class, both uh, non-white and white, are in competition with each other for cultural reasons because they're encroaching on each other's physical territory, um, and and this internal competition removes the chance that they can unite and go against the sort of capitalist oligarch class. But of course, the 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 the, the, the rich oligarch class live in nice areas, whereas the the, the, the white collar, work, uh, blue collars are, are living right cheek by jowl with, with people from Somalia and so on. So at the same time as the, the, the upper middle class are harvesting the virtue by being open-minded and by saying, well, we have sushi, so we're open-minded. It's the, it's the working class having to share their welfare payments in some cases. I mean, there's a very strong work ethic among the blue collar workers, but also the physical territory and they're suffering from the increased crime and so on. So the, the costs of immigration are socialized and the benefits of immigration are privatized. And of course, you have cheaper home help and so on if you're upper middle class. So you could make a class war issue and you could say it's from the left. Now, my next guest uh, is one of Sweden's most interesting debaters and intellectuals, is Jörn Adamson. He's actually written two books uh, on these topics. And I think you could summarize his theme. His first theme is masochistic uh, nationalism. And we'll deal with that later in the program or projected nationalism i'd like to call it and uh, the other thing is his idea that you can actually attack multiculturalism and immigration from the left so we'll have Jan Adamson after the break this is tnt keeping the commitment i love you guys unbelievable 24 7. listen to you every day have for years today's news talk radio tnt hi Jan. tell us about your theory of coming at multiculturalism and immigration from a left-wing perspective. Uh, hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. It'll be interesting to talk to you about, about these things. Well, my my idea, my take on multiculturalism is, uh, uh, in Sweden, a bit peculiar, I would say, because in Sweden you're supposed to be a right-winger or a Nazi in order to criticize criticize multiculturalism. But I think that if you have a look at if you have a look at below the surface of of multiculturalism, you will notice very quickly that the the foundation, the pillars of multiculturalism, um, from from my point of view, has very little to do with progressive, radical, or socialist left wing ideas. 
I think it is it is much closer related to conservative ideas and even reactionary ideas. If you just take, you know, which is a very easy case in point, if you take the role of women in multiculturalism, everybody who talks about multiculturalism and defends it um, are likely to be a little bit strange being left-wingers because classic left-wingers, they were very, very clear about the, uh, you know, the autonomy of women and women as, uh, you know, being independent to do what they like. But if you defend multiculturalism today, you have to say that women perhaps should be a little bit modest, perhaps should be careful, perhaps should be, I mean, they are no longer feminists in the classic leftist, you know, notion of the idea, which is just one of many examples, uh, you know, that I think is pretty obvious that that multiculturalism is, you know, under the surface, under the surface, a a conservative or even reactionary ideas. You know, if you take the case of women, you know, I can line up many other examples, but that's just one, I think, obvious case in point here. Yeah, I mean, what, um, if we use the sort of, um, I don't know, the post-World War One period as a reference, the period of the great emancipation of the white working class, um, you had, well, you had two things. You had working class jobs being paid better through the unions, I very, very, very slowly come to the realization that maybe the unions were were a good thing, partly a good mm. thing. Um, but then also there, there was a roadmap to entering the middle class through education because there was a common cultural canon. You know, you you this this uh, this working class boy, if he didn't go into plumbing or whatever, he studied in the library and he read the classics, and then he got into the middle class or in academia and that's sure. kind of fallen apart there's no this you say it in swedish or german bildungskultur and i think that yeah. they had that in the old communist russia soviet union actually and so i've talked to people in the former soviet union they say we had a real education culture the communists believed in reading books and the classics but you think it's yes. it's different now in this new world uh, I think it is very different, and it's interesting you bring it up because I had a look the other week of a book, and it was about a book about an old an old Swedish uh, a social democratic leader who, who said he said very interestingly he said that the the economic transition of the working class this was back in 1920s he said that the economic transition under better economic circumstances these are uh, only a means. But the goal is for um, the working class. And I think this was I mean, a bit of a, in a romantic way, but very charming and true. The goal is for these people to get access to, to culture. Uh, he might even talk about higher culture, like the classic literature and, and uh, philosophy and so on. And, um, and sadly, I think these ideas have, have uh, been waning and now I think in, 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 in the left, in the Social Democratic Party and so forth, these ideas are all but absent. It's gone. The intellectual ambitions on the part of the voters. And then clearly you could add immediately that, that maybe there is, a, there is a tactic in this. Maybe there's a shrewd cynicism in this because the old, very nice, intimate link between uh, the working class politician and the working class people, that intimacy is gone and uh, has has been replaced by by um, uh, cynicism and uh, antagonism and we all know everybody knows what has happened to the social democratic party they have been looking for other allegiances and migrants of course is one of them i would say well they they yeah, I mean they lost the it's it's hard to see what's the cause and effect but they they lost i mean 
Trump has exploited this as well, uh, and not just the AFD in Germany and the Sweden Democrats. Yeah. Is it that yeah. the old working class vote for uh, the, the the so-called far right parties, but they're not really far right. Often they, they they appeal to to the working class, right? And so the social democrats today in Sweden have to find migrants as their new voters. Could you talk about yes. that? Yes, of course. I mean. Uh, you're right in saying that they are not really far right in the proper sense of the word. I've studied the far right ideology for 20 years. And uh, I always say that if someone talks about fascism and so forth, Trump being a fascist, and I just tell them kindly, can you please give me an indication of that? Can you please give me a proof? I mean, the, the, the whole far right ideology is, is, I would say, confined squarely into the minds of, of the left wing people and the politically correct people. Um, as a way of, of, of um, you know, um, a scapegoat idea of, of harassing your opponents and and also of failing somehow psychologically to acknowledge that, that you're in, in in you have a big problem because because of that this entirely emotional uh, rhetoric and uh, and and there's another thing here I it's like when people say that how can poor people vote for Trump who is a billionaire. You know, as if the economic, that's also a kind of left-wing delusion, as if economic factors are the only factors available to anybody. I mean, it might be the only factor available to a left-wing academic, but to, to a right-wing, or I would say to, to any decent Swede in Mariestad or someone in, 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 in Kansas in the United States, there are other factors determining how you vote, namely cultural factors. And if you happen to have someone whose name is Trump, who speaks very warmly about American culture, then you might you might think very little about economic factors because the cultural idea is much more, maybe for you, much more important than the you know the, the whole economic left wing rhetoric. I think that's a, that's a that's a very strong left wing delusion, and they never seem to get rid of that. I think. Well, I, what's the? I mean, I'll tell you because people vote. I say to, to anti-Trumpers, you nearly everyone yeah. in Sweden, I say, Trump's a good man or a bad man. I happen to think he's a good man, but assume he is a bad man, as you say. How yeah. bad must not be the elite be for people to vote for Trump? If, if your wife runs away with a, a drunkard, unemployed, fat guy, you should maybe ask questions. Maybe I'm not so attractive either, you know, but they never yeah. have that self-realization, do they? No, which is very interesting. I, I wrote a, a paper a couple of years ago, and the paper was called, I think, something along the lines of, uh, why do uh, right-wing populist parties prosper? With the subtitle, 23 uh, suggestions uh, to the left-winger, or something like that. And, and the whole paper is about, hey, you must realize that, I mean, people don't vote for Trump out of you know thin air. There is a reason behind it. Yes, and as you rightly point out, uh, the nastier, the alternative appealing to the general public, the, 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 the terrible, more terrible must be your, your uh, um, fallacy or your, your mistakes for having them do so, you know? So that's, yeah. that's, that's, very, that's very important. It's like, and, and you could say also here that there, there's something very funny going on because, um, Generally, left-wing academics—they are—they are always very interested in, uh, you know, what you call social explanations. You know, the reason behind people being a criminal, the reason behind people doing this and that. Uh, but when it comes to um, people voting for Trump or people in Sweden voting for the Sweden Democrats, 
this whole idea, this whole enormous curiosity, you know, vanishes from one second to the left. They are not interested in the reasons behind people voting for the Sweden Democrats or for Trump or for Marine Le Pen for that matter, because if they were interested, they would have to realize that part, I mean, a great part of the reason for, for this is because of their own failures. They have been so abusive, so arrogant, so uh, patronizing, you know, in hundreds of ways against the general population, against, you know, the working class, to the extent that the working class have decided we are not going to vote for you anymore. They don't want to think about this. They don't want to talk about this. So, um, so that's that's a very big part of, you know, the whole the whole problem. I think in politics today can. To, let me just say this also. Um, the, the big problem, one of the biggest problems in politics today, I think, goes back to the fact that the the left wing entourage, the woke people, the, the politically correct, they are not interested in the reason behind people shifting their political allegiances from left to right. You see, that's what I think. I, th I think, but um, you and I have the same views on the Swedish or the Western media mostly. And um, it's, they, they, I know that when Swedish radio gets a, a chance to talk about Trump, they have this special way they use the word Trump. They say, Donald Trump. And you know they're going yes. to vomit some prejudice, yes. Based on and and you think yes. people <clears throat> want to vote for their betters if we have a hierarchical society because they believe they're rational and better leaders. But when they yes. see these puerile and often it's women, I have to say, you know, with female journalists of a certain age, but not always. Mm. And they say, well, these are people are not our betters, are they? They're just so emotional they can't see our perspective. I mean, if there's a noblesse oblige idea, what, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's very right. And that that also uh, actually, uh, that's actually the beginning. Uh, I, I'm not supposed to campaign for this this paper of mine. That's actually the beginning of this paper, 23 suggestions for the for the uh, anti <laughs> for the for the anti racist. I started by anyway, just just to, to, to explain it very very briefly. There was a, a left wing academic. He he said something along the lines of how can people vote for for uh, Marine Le Pen? You know, that was the that was the core of it. And then I was thinking, well, and he, he had this whole idea, the whole the whole you know, discussion was about because uh, Le Pen, she's so terrible, she's so nasty, she's so right wing, etc. How can people vote for her? And then I thought, well, you there's something you must understand, dear professor, that these people might not think the way you do. And this may be sound trivial for you and me and maybe for our listeners and viewers, but but sadly, I think for a great number of, of academics, they simply will not understand this because they are so caught in their own, you know, I don't know, uh, arrogance that they, they simply fail to understand on a very basic level that everybody does not think the way they do. People don't. And, and unless you can unless you can have a scientific approach to the world and realize that people have different opinions and persuasions and views and, and ideologies, I think you're screwed. And then then you actually then you have the mind of a toddler. And sorry to say this, but I think I think a, a huge part of of the social sciences in the West Western world today are governed by people who seem to think like toddlers. They have no no capacity to understand that other people have other persuasions. You see? 
Johan, we, we, I want to change gear. It's related because you got right. into trouble. We right. uh, in 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 Malmo, where we first met you a few years ago, when I made a film called Sweden Dying to Be Multicultural, which was very successful yeah. on YouTube, then taken down, then we sold it to Amazon, and you were the star of that film because you were so articulate. Uh -huh. um, Thank you. And um, you were called the Jordan Peterson of uh, Sweden or something like that. But yeah. bef before that, you were well. You'd had some a riveting story before it was so familiar. I mean, things have happened in the. I think Sweden was more woke earlier than the other countries, but now it's more commonplace. But you had some terrible yeah. problems with with Malmo University, where you were a sociologist. Can you tell us that story? Because it's quite a, a telling and interesting story. Yeah, I can. But I would like to. I would first of all, I'd like to say that I don't live the life of a. You know, of, of my, I don't want to think about my failings and my shortcomings and be some kind of martyr. And uh, you just, you just, you know, carry on. But anyway, what happened was that I was, I was singled out, and I, I managed to, to, to try to, to, to fuse uh, Sweden, uh, to fuse Malmo University, where I was living, with, with uh, Hong Kong Polytechnic University. So I was quite high up in the hierarchy of Malmo University, and uh, I had a contract. I had a permanent contract, and uh, I was an associate professor. And um, and then I wrote this book, um, The Trojan Horse, a, a left-wing critique of multiculturalism in the West. And then I was called into my dean, who always supported me. But then he he had turned around like 180 degrees, and he he started scolding me, attacking me. Um, who he is is completely unimportant. He's not a interesting character. But but anyway, so I was I lost my job within three weeks. And they said it was about um, they had to reduce, and there were financial, you know, concerns and restraints. And uh, but but I think it was I don't know I have no proof, but I think it was related to the fact that I wrote a book uh, where I criticized multiculturalism quite not heavily, but I just thought it was a it was a the whole diversity idea. I thought it was a. a you know a lot of authoritarian nonsense to say it mm. to say it bluntly. Mm. And um, so, but but I have to say that I'm happy I did it, and I'm I don't mind losing a job because what I was doing was important. And uh, you need to, you know, you need to, you know, speaking about Jordan Peterson, you need to you need to speak your mind. You really need to speak your mind. People don't do that so often. But you you, you were you were quoting, I mean, uh, John Stuart Mill, who's the 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 godfather of the liberal tradition. That is, I might not agree with you, but you might have something to say that will correct my. Uh, we, I know it might not be 100% correct, even though I'm 80% correct. So I need to listen to you anyway. And even yes. if I'm in, in error, I might. you can correct me. So let's have free speech. Uh, and if we suppress it, you'll have braving, yeah. as I talked to yes. yesterday. But you got into problems uh, with some uh, some student, and you had to write hundreds of emails or something, didn't you? Yeah, but that was actually uh, – I, I jumped from one from – one, uh, University to the next one, and then I ended up in trouble there too, sadly. But you know what? What what Mill said was even stronger. He said, "I I I I despise what you say, but I'm willing to sacrifice my life for your right to say it." Something like that. It was it, you know you cannot put it stronger and more eloquently than that. But I mean this this what this what happens with the, this student? She was a she was a Swedish Muslim convert, and I I, I gave a lecture on a on religion, I think. Generally, and I, I talked about on liberty, Mills on liberty, and um, I just quoted him. He said, I, "He said, even though religion might not be uh, true from a scientific point of view, it still gives 
people a sense of of, of safety and uh, and belonging, which is you know you have to uh, you have to uh, accept. And there she was sitting, you know, all dressed in black, very imposing figure in the middle of the classroom, looking at me quietly. And two days later, uh, I, I received this long email where she accused me of being um, uh, a bad uh, teacher and, uh, and, and uh, I don't know, but committing a lot of mistakes and, and being uh, abusive and intolerant and so forth. And I was just lecturing on Mill. And this is the irony. It's a pretty bloody irony. If you cannot lecture on Mill, then, then you tell me what, 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 what you really can lecture on at a university. Anyway, I was called in many, 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 many times. And I think I have to, to, to write hundred, hundreds of emails. Um, but I, I just told, told everybody that this is, this is bizarre. Uh, this is like, you should, you should tell her, you know, the rules of a Swedish university and, uh, and so forth. And, um, but that was a rather, um, sad story, but I I I think I, I managed to re retain my positive energy and and humor. So I thought this is this was really an interesting indication of that something is something is um, happening. Something is you know falling apart in, in Swedish academia. And, I, um, I mean it's not always like this, but I think this was a, a the ner nervousness and the lack. I need to say this. This is very important. The absolute lack of ability on the part of the deans and the heads of departments to defend academic principles in the face of a, of a confused young um, Swedish Muslim convert is, is uh, very surprising, maybe not surprising, but it's very sad. And it, it, um, it really made me think. And we've talked about this many times, so I'm happy you brought it up. Do, do you feel that you were held up as an example? I mean, or at least it, you, it puts a dampener on free speech. If everyone, everyone knows that if you quote John Stuart Mill, you'll get 500 emails that you have to reply to in the next yes. eight months. And so they won't be controversial or they won't say they won't quote John Stuart Mill. And that's yes, it for academic freedom at that university. That's it for academic freedom. And, you know, someone said that, okay, you can surely you can, you can abuse any, any, you know, thinker, any philosopher, any any writer. But I think it is easier to to uh, uh, abuse Marx or Nietzsche for politically extreme ends, or Wagner if you compare it to Satie. <laughs> Speak about music. Uh, if you compare it to, I mean, if you compare Nietzsche and Marx to Mill, I think it is clearly easier to. Um, end up, you know, in trouble if you talk about Nietzsche or Marx. But if you cannot even talk about Mill, who is mm. the guy who is in the in the middle of the road, then I would say you cannot talk about anything at all. So that would be, the, you know, the death toll to any kind of, of, of discussion about anything. Now, I met you a few years ago when I first started coming to Sweden because my girlfriend is living here. And yeah. you were like a breath of fresh air compared to the Swedish climate then, because I felt I, I perceived Thank you very much. Thank right. But then, then the, uh, what I perceive is that the, the ang in the Anglosphere countries have caught up with Sweden in terms of political correctness. And I know yes. that you went to Bard College because we we filmed you there in the yeah. US, and you had some. Com you, what, what 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 are your thoughts about that? You, you is, mean at, at Bard College? Free, freedom in in the Anglosphere compared to Sweden. 
Well, uh, you know, I took my PhD at the London School of Economics. So, so I mean, I was only on Bard College for a, a day or two. But, but I think generally speaking about my, my if I may speak about my experiences back at the London School of Economics instead, I think that uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, political correctness. This was 20 years ago. But even at the LSE, and I think famously, LSE is is rather famous for a kind of um, you know tendencies towards PC. And I I remember that they there were demonstrations. The the uh, LSE Student Union was demonstrating, and and it struck me that the um, the board, the people who seemed to be in charge of the LSE Student Union. Um, they were standing outside, outside, uh, chanting with, uh, you know, uh, posters and so forth. All of these guys seemed to be uh, Muslim. They had beard, and uh, I couldn't see any British face. I mean, I don't have prejudices, but I have, I had the impression, and I've talked to people after that, that who said that student union and a lot of student unions in London, and especially at the LSE, has been uh, are highly influenced by, by. Muslims, basically. So, and uh, uh, so I, I don't think I really don't think that. I mean, I, I often say that that if you talk about political correctness, England is possibly the worst case. Uh, yeah. In time, and even but, even but Sweden is even worse. Sorry, what? Sweden's even worse. Sweden's even yes, worse. Is it? Yes, that's what I, I say for Sweden. If you if you take Sweden aside, uh, England is the worst place on the planet. But Sweden is like. Uh, I think Sweden is a kind of test station for the for the demise of the West or something like that. Mm. It's interesting because was it you, your body, Academic Rights Watch, you're part of this think tank and they find yes. interesting studies from around the world. And they found that right. odd countries like Hungary and Belgium or whatever come top in academic freedom. And maybe and I think yes. Germany as well, maybe. And UK and Sweden come near the bottom, and that's a big blow to the Swedes yeah. who think of themselves as big innovators and intellectual. And Britain, of course, which sees itself right. as vanguard of freedom compared to the horrible e Europeans. You know. Yes. Do you remember that study? Yes. No, I don't know. I don't know about that study, but but I think uh, you know. I think one problem with my own country in terms of academic freedom is that uh, you know it's the kind of the idea that as long as you as long as you happily and peacefully reside under the you know the little the little cheese box you know the plastic cheese box you might think that everything is fine you can say anything you want you speak your mind and you do it passionately and and you believe you have complete autonomy but the only problem is that you're a conformist mm -hmm. so you're saying the same things as as everyone else is saying so so uh, so it's the kind of internalized censorship and conformism, huge conformism in the Swedish society. If you if you compare it to to Copenhagen and Denmark, so I think that for to a Swede, and even if you you have these assessments, I think Sweden can rank pretty highly, pretty you know high up on these these ratings. But the the problem is that that um, we uh, seem to have, I think, from my point of view, seem to have very little open political discussion. And um, so that's like a problem in our culture, a problem in our, in our society. And then, you know, if you want to have, I mean, the, it's like the basic idea, the basic feeling is, is that if you're sitting in, in the lunchroom, in the academic lunchroom, and nobody's talking, 
you're supposed to be happy because it is as if we have seen the light. Yeah. We have realized that everything has been solved. We found a solution to everything, to all political problems. And if you discuss, that's dangerous. But because the discussion is can be forceful, it can be show antagonism and conflict, etc. That's a bad thing. But in reality, of course, a conflict and a discussion is the you know the foundation of, of democracy. But in Sweden, it's like silence is the foundation. Yeah. It's very strange, and yet Sweden is supposed to be the best yeah. democracy. But we've got to get an end there, Jöran, and I'll just end with a quoting one of your many quotable quotes, is where you said, I've never been in academia, so maybe you can say I have a chip on my shoulder, but they said, you had more interesting conversations with the kitchen guy than you had in the common room with the academics. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we'll end there. We'd love to have you on again. We're now going Thank into you. the ad break. This is TNT Radio. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy. And Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us. We'll be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. From the Cold War to propaganda and the deep state, Helen Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Hi, Dirk. We're talking about, I talked to the previous guest about this, the way that the label far right is being sprayed around a lot and uh, by the mainstream media. And, uh, you know, what do you associate with the far right? Well, it's it's violence and it's lack of democracy. But I mean, it's often the far right parties in Europe that want to peace deal with Russia and that see their point of view uh, being perfect liberals in that regard. And then you've got the the issue of democracy. Now, what we've got is our elites. If we just I read this up, Zelensky's banned his opposition. Germany wants to ban the largest party, the AFD. The US deep state is trying to make sure Trump doesn't run this year. Um, the EU wants to cancel Hungary's vote of the lack of help for Ukraine. Uh, EU's citizens don't get to elect EU leaders in Brussels. Uh, the new French prime minister chose his gay wife husband as foreign minister, and neither of them have much experience. So what is the picture of democracy? It doesn't look too good among the people who blame the rest of us for being far right, you know? And tell us what's yeah. happening in Germany. Yeah, I think the whole, um, the split left and right or far right, far left, whatever, medium, liberal, whatever you want to call it, doesn't work really anymore. Um, one example is that uh, freedom of speech is something that is now uphold mostly by conservative journalists. <clears throat> Tucker Carlson is a very good example. 
talking to Jimmy Dore, whereas uh, we just had uh, to say that <laughs> we have a, a kind of a scandal here in Germany right now because there was a meeting of um, far right people uh, in a small hotel out in the <clears throat> in the in the boondocks, so to say, here <laughs> uh, near Berlin. And uh, they were discussing uh, bringing immigrants back uh, to their home countries. And this has been discussed. Um, it's also Scholz. Uh, there's a quote from Scholz that they have to do it major style. Um, it is a thing. And that this is now made into um, a scandal because some people were there with equipment. They had a watch where they could film and record and it's now called the new Wannsee Conference. The Wannsee Conference was the conference in World War II where um, the German <clears throat> Nazi leaders met from different branches. And it's said to uh, organization of the Holocaust that which is not, it was more that everybody was supposed to be on that conference. So they all had their dirty hands together. That was right. the main purpose. And, but it was a central event of the Holocaust. So they compare that to the Holocaust and they can see that and then uh, there was one guy there and they, they, we had a TV, a talk show and Sarah Wagenknecht, who is uh, also, I mean, high up in the polls with her new party, which has never been at an election. Uh, and she will cannibalize also AFD, by the way, it will be interesting because a lot of the people from the AFD voted AFD for the reasons that you said that um, the situation, there's nobody who's giving opposition in the German parliament on the topics of COVID and of the Ukraine war. They're all, all the others are on board with the NATO um, course, so to speak. So she's not, and the AFD is not. And then in this uh, talk show, they said, uh, there was a guy on the conference and you have been in contact with him too. So this is <laughs> this. Uh, and then she explained, said, yes, uh, he uh, offered to get me in contact with a famous German uh, guy from from a stand up comedian, um, a political stand up comedian. And uh, I was astonished that a right wing person would have contact with him. But anyhow, but then they made a whole fuss about that. And she said, uh, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, so what is this about? And then the whole thing with the AFD trying, it is the way, as you said, they're trying to get it illegal now. There's uh, the German interior intelligence is declaring the AFD uh, uh, uncon uh, unconstitutional party um, in three of the states uh, that we have. And uh, so this is on the track. And there you can see that from the left, it is uh, the idea that if you have a party and they are strong, they have 37% of the vote. And in Saxony, to say that the social Democrats have 1% left. I mean, it's the worst, the worst polling that they ever had in their whole history. And so <coughs> yeah. they're trying to solve this problem by uh, declaring things illegal. So I think this idea of the left, which is for uh, constructive free speech in a way that you are supposed to you can criticize the government that's out of the window and uh, and then if you are really into constitutional law then uh, you can be very conservative and uh, look for a democratic attitude and and freedom of speech so left right doesn't work really anymore you yeah, have yeah. to you have to see who's uh, going ahead with what yeah i know i mean because you're you're a uh... You always seen yourself as a man of the left or moderate left, but aren't you being called yes. far right now because you believe in free speech and 
And I've been told uh, I've been called everything, you know. And uh, when I did a do documentary about uh, what the Soviets did in terms of their MK Ultra program, I was called uh, a conservative cold warrior. When I did a documentary about the submarine affair, you are very proficient with that, and uh, as well as I know you personally <laughs> we know the same people in this on this topic and then uh, i've been called a, a far left uh, anti-american agitator and so on it is i mean it's ridiculous the job of a journalist to go and see if there's something where the difference between reality and and uh, the perception is very very far apart and then you have to report on that and we are always should be as john pilger said agents of the people we should not be agents of any government so uh, that was and that's uh, and that I've been called everything. You can uh, anti-Semite also because we were after this guy who uh, who uh, I mean he manipulated heavily on Wikipedia, and when we, we didn't know who he was, but he turned out to be very close to the Israelis, and he changed his belief from Christian to Jewish, so he could sell tell people who were after him that were, they were anti-Semites. He was a candidate, a candidate for parliament, for federal parliament in Germany, and smeared his own people in the party. And then, of course, I mean, this is, um, it's, it's uh, we're in a, I, in a bad situation. <laughs> we, 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 we have a, a mutually, we have a sort of a complimentary role, because you enormously admire Sweden, and I'm a bit more critical, and you enorm I enormously admire Germany, and you're a bit more critical. But that's, you that's shouldn't. as a way, as it should be. <laughs> Because I grew up with Germany as the, the adult in the room, whereas Britain and France were posturing and playing to their old imperial role. Germany just paid up for everyone else and had these solid leaders like Schmidt and even Kohl, perhaps. But now yes, Germany seems to be going off the rails. You, you're becoming slowly fascist in a way, even though you think it's in the name of Zionism and pr pr freedom or whatever. Um, <laughs> you're banning parties. You have people like Uda Ulfkotter, who says Germany? German media is controlled by the CIA. You've got he's dead. Uh, he's dead. Yeah. Exactly, died of a heart attack, didn't he? And then you've got yes. um, a little bit of a strange Kinect. story. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, let's see. We, we could you could talk just, but just talk about Wagenknecht is an IFD. So the what, what, but you do have some opposition, and Germany is the most important country in Europe. So the fact that there is an opposition in Germany, a sort of Trumpian revolution. That's for very simple way to explain it. Um, yes. One has a left-wing angle, this Wagenknecht and AFD on the right. Could they go into alliance? Is are they going to ban Wagenknecht's party or, or what? I, we'll I talk, think it's we'll, uh, it's working. Uh, it's working this way, really. Uh, it's. Uh, can it's can not we just talk about that after the break? We'll talk about okay. that after the break. <laughs> This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. So this week we find out that the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in the hospital in intensive care for days and days without anybody knowing, not even the President of the United States, which leads to this very good question. Why should we believe anything that this administration tells us about anything ever again? I think we all recognize, and I think the Pentagon has been very, very honest with themselves about uh, the um, the challenge to, to to credibility by what by what has transpired here and by what and by uh, uh, how, how. Great answer, right? Here's another good question. If the administration is going to go to such great lengths to keep secrets about the defense secretary's health, how can anybody be certain? that the administration would not go to the same lengths to keep secret 
problems with President Biden's health in the future. I won't bore you with the answer to that one. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. The Kids Cancer Project funds vital research into childhood cancers. And you fund the Kids Cancer Project. Funding research means giving children back their lives. And who knows what kids with cancer could grow up to do. The Kids Cancer Project. Survival starts with science. Donate now. The Kids Cancer Project. Swedish-British journalist, filmmaker, political writer, and author of five books, Pella Neuroth-Taylor, on today's News Talk TNT. This is, uh, hi, this is my good friend Dirk talking about Germany and uh, this uh, country which seems to be ruled by a really, really incompetent or wicked government, which is uh, silent about Nord Stream and deindustrialization going on. But you are seeing the beginnings of an opposition. One on the left, Wagenknecht, who's this very famous, well-known left-wing politician, and the AFD, which is on the right. Uh, mm. Are they, could they be friends? Could they get together and uh, form an alliance? Uh, I don't think so that that will happen, although it would be it would be very good, I think, in a way, because, you know, if you believe now again, if you're conservative or uh, liberal in the in the German sense, which is not liberal in the Brit in the American sense, it's um, medium. Yeah. Uh, um, if you're that, then you should believe in parliamentary democracy, which means that on certain topics you work together with other parties. And there are some strong connections between really AFD and Wagenknecht. And the point was really she, you know, uh, Lafontaine went from Social Democrat, uh, Democratic Party, he founded the left party. And uh, then in there, uh, Wagenknecht and him they are a couple <laughs> they met uh, uh after that happened and because they were uh, wagenknecht in the beginning was considered a stalinist communist which was over the top uh, all the time but she came from that branch in a way when she was young and uh they have both of them uh, uh i mean uh, lafontaine has been called the most dangerous politician in germany in two interviews i did with people from the reagan administration so he was always uh looking for the interest of the working people in germany let's say lower middle class uh the usual the people on the street and this is also what wagenknecht did and then that was considered left for a very long time that you care about the ordinary people but the left party and the social democrats and the liberal party and even the conservative christian democrats are now going into the woke direction they care more for the rights of these people and so this was the real split between wagenknecht and uh the the left party she was basically short of being thrown out uh also lafontaine left before he was thrown out and now um, the uh, the left party will sink. They will go into uh, into the darkness, so to speak, political darkness. They have no force anymore. Wagenknecht was the second most popular politician, or is in Germany. She's hugely, hugely uh, uh, popular. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, it will be interesting to see uh, because they are going on the same line. And it could be like in with Russia or also with COVID, uh, they are on similar terms and but there's the the way we are handled with a whip in Germany and I think in all over Europe and also is that you should not align with uh, between left wing and right wing even if on on singular topics it's close to impossible and she has always been very 
de- uh, careful with that. But I think it would be a very, it would be uh, a movement <clears throat> if they could do that. Um, it would propel the whole thing into a new dimension. Right now, from the polls, there would only one government be possible, which would be AFD with Green Party <clears throat> and the Christian Democrats, and that that's impossible in a way. Um, then if uh, Wagenknecht was in the polls around 20%, uh, uh, AFD 37, but they cannibalize somewhat, somewhat on the, on the working class people. So if you're here in, in Eastern Germany and you are uh, a craftsman and you have people from Poland or wherever coming in uh, doing that for very much less money and you don't know, uh, you don't earn enough to keep your family up, then you do have a problem. And this is what the, uh, what the left party didn't acknowledge, yeah. And then with immigration, a lot of people in Germany, not only from the far right, think this has gone overboard, like in Sweden, I think, yeah. So this is a topic. And now, at the same time, the Social Democrats, for example, and the Christian Democrats crack down on immigration while telling don't vote for AFD. They do that because the vote to AFD is going for that and say, if you're voting for a Nazi party, they always make the connection to this is the thing that who, the first ones who shouts anti-Semite or Nazi has won the battle, so to speak. <laughs> and it's yeah. ridiculous and um, that, but this is outgoing. So it they probably will not work together because the game is that it's like with McCarthy. Have you ever been a communist or do you know somebody who has been the communist? This is now what they say. Have you ever uh, somebody was against immigration or know something? It is You cannot discuss that rationally. There's not a possibility. It's highly loaded. And it's like in Inquisition in, the, in, in, in uh, late, not medieval really, but later than that where heretics, uh, uh, it's a its a, a moral prison. Uh, there's a book coming out but, saying morality prison by a philosopher in Germany, which is a very good expression. I mean, I'm, my argument when I meet people who have are absolutely allergic to any discussion about uh, immigration is I said, okay, I can accept the West as an imperi- imperialist, uh, uh, racist, there's a lot of racists in the world. Uh, we should mm. treat uh, non-whites with dignity and they should have... Uh, equal under the law and equal access to jobs. But that does not mean that you are, you should open your borders to anyone who wants to come in from the whole world. It doesn't follow, you know. And and I think a lot of people on the other side of the argument from where I stand conflate those two issues in a very unfair way uh, by using this very emotive language. So, you know, you say, well, you know, maybe Sweden shouldn't be letting in 2% of its population every year in terms of migration from cultures that are very different so that, you know, if you look at in terms of big cities and the young cohort, it's thirty or 40, a very, very high rate of young men from the uh, in, in Middle East, you know. And mm. um, they say, do you, that way goes to the gas chambers. I, it's always mm. from one, it always takes the maximum extreme, you know. Uh, it's always the Hitler argument that Trump, it's like the joker in the pack that they always bring out, you know. That's how Hitler started or something. But controlled immigration was standard in Europe until Blair came into power in 1997. So it's two arguments there also from Wagenknecht and from Lafontaine is if you have a social security state, which is, for example, Sweden had for a very long time. You're taking care. uh, I mean, Sweden worked uh, all of the Scandinavian countries uh, worked very well in terms that the state work uh, delivered from the high taxes it delivered to society. But you cannot do that if you have unlimited immigration. The point is that it's a limited, so this is what Wagenknecht and and Lafontaine, who both come from the economy side, 
uh, they are economists. Uh, so this is what they understand. And you could say it's a it's a, a neoliberal Trojan horse. If you uh, open that up, you by looking uh, looking very pr uh, progressive, you in fact destroy the fabric of trying to equalize the society. Equality is a huge problem, I think, in the in our uh, in our societies. And now this is why why I say it doesn't work anymore. But the point is um, with a with a AFD. I'm not sure what their because their economic it's <clears throat> their economic program is quite neoliberal. So there would be this is the real difference between Wagenknecht and uh, and the AFD that Wagenknecht is definitely old old style social democratic and um not not socialist or something or not communist it's old social democracy so use capitalism uh, as a force to enable uh, uh balance in the society that the lower uh, the the lower classes uh, have for example access to university which is a good measurement to 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 see if it works yeah uh, how many people from working class are going to universities um, so the arguments that you Sorry, the arguments that you and I have just outlined about uh, immigration and the slice, you've got to divide the welfare cake. I mean, it's a real concrete issue for the for the white collar, blue collar workers don't get enough. Right. East I mean, Germans it's about blue collar. I want to say that yeah. the, the arguments that we hear from the left wing, from the social Democrats are the arguments from an academic middle class. That's from yeah, the yeah, people yeah. from the university. But they forget about the blue collar people. Yeah. I know. So we've got three minutes left, but why East German? We're told all our lives, you live in Berlin, which is an old East German city. The East Germans grew up under communism. They're supposed to be so brainwashed and they didn't come to terms with Nazism. That's what West Germans say. That's why they vote for the AFD. They're so stupid. But actually, from my True. perspective, the, <laughs> the East Germans are the only ones who see the situation as it really is. And it's the West Western Germans who are kind of brainwashed. Can you explain I that? I would agree. The East Germans are, in a way, immunized to propaganda and bullshit. They get sarcastic and ironic when they hear that. They are much more alert as in Russia. People don't believe in government in Russia, and people don't believe in government in Germany. They are on the democratic part. They are much more democratic than the left wings who have come from the moral high ground and go to censorship and all that kind of bullshit. It's in East Germany. I think they have they have experience. They know how to do a revolution. We have to be uh, thankful that they are there to control what's going on here. So these farmers revolution, farmers patrol, uh, whatever, are, are, is that like a repeat of Leipzig 1989? And, and is it coming from the East German segment to the population that they, they were it, trying to impose another peaceful revolution? That is interesting. It's coming from downstairs upwards these are craftsmen these are truck drivers uh the farmers it's a it's a down-to-earth people working it's kind of a you could if you look at from the very left party kind of a class struggle the first time that i noticed that that it happens in germany it's something we don't buy your bullshit anymore yeah so it's not east german west german it's rather low lower classes against uh, the government and do you think it's going anywhere what, what will happen in the next few weeks you see that uh, the whole thing, uh, you know, when, when Habeck came back from, from vacation, the farmers blocked his ferry. So uh, it's kind of, uh, these people, like in France, they are more, they are more on the, we do that. You know, the, you know they are hands-on attitude, and I think we're missing that deeply. That should also be in Parliament. We need blue-collar people in, in the Parliament. We need this vivid... Uh, this vivid uh, uh, situation in the in the society, and so for me, it's a positive. It's out from the sleep that we have for such a long time. 
Dirk Puma, thank you very much for a very interesting talk about Germany and the European politics. Uh, this is TNT Radio. 